I remember listening to a talk about how English teachers are expected to save the world. Um, we just teach English. And in some contexts, of course, you would lose your job or even be arrested for talking about some of these issues. There is a lack of information around the topic and material that is close to our near context will be for sure a great help for us English teachers to start talking more about it. Yes, I would like to learn about this topic, climate change. For example, I would like to know how I can help. Welcome to the jungle! The British Council presents the climate connection. La connexion climatique. Die Klimakonnektivität. La connexion climatique. Climate action in language education. This is episode four. Where there's a clill, there's a way. La connexion climatique. Hello and welcome to The Climate Connection, a British Council podcast focusing on climate action in language education. I'm your host, Chris Salton. In this episode, we'll be looking at teaching materials and how language educators can maintain the right balance between content and language. On tempo bubno. Our first guest this episode is Alexandra Zaporusha. Alexandra has more than 30 years experience of teaching English language and geography in her home country of Poland, the UK and across Asia, including Iraq, Turkey and Kazakhstan. She has also written, trained and presented extensively on global issues in CLIL, content and language integrated learning, in the language classroom. Welcome, Alexandra. One of the things I like about CLIL, Content and Language Integrated Learning, is that it allows a little bit, at least, to connect the curricula of other subjects with the curriculum of the language or what is happening in the language classroom. Because if you look at it, you know, as a geography teacher, I can cooperate with a history teacher, with a biology teacher, chemistry, mathematics. I can find links. We can work on projects together. So, so clearly could be this kind of a bridge between the other subject curricula, the language, and this could give opportunities to kind of go into the wider world. Alexandra, if, if teachers, for example, are struggling to work with colleagues or perhaps an institution, it's not against CLIL, but it doesn't really think it's their sort of main business. If we're thinking about the climate crisis, could you perhaps talk a little bit about either project-based learning or task-based learning and how that could potentially be used in an English language classroom about issues related to the climate crisis? What I would be thinking about is going beyond just informing, going into changing students' attitudes. So you think sometimes those materials are too descriptive and you want to adopt, to say, a more critical pedagogic approach? Yeah, I suppose they have to be like this because this is, for example, like a course book can be used by different teachers in different contexts. But I would urge teachers to kind of take this content and 
Go one step further. Okay, yeah, there is this text about tropical rainforests being cut down at a terrible speed. Can we do it? And the thing about that, maybe we can have a project connected with this topic, but the project that is going to lead from this informing through changing attitudes to teaching specific skills and then taking action. Because we can find links between what is going on in the tropical rainforest in the Amazon in South America with what is going on in my backyard. Are there any trees cut down because they are constructing a new road in my area? Or just yesterday I read a brilliant article about a man who stopped the desertification process in Sahel by employing traditional, very old techniques. So we can find kind of parallel issues in our local area. Like you say, that mixture of the global and local, you know, if we can take that sort of that localism whereby students can learn about these issues from all over the world and then directly apply it in their own situation. Absolutely. And actually, one of the ideas for language teachers would be take the content that you normally teach, like about clothes or about food, but take this one step further and go into those food miles or check where your clothes come from, what goes into your jeans, how many t-shirts or tops have you got, do you need that many, what happens if you are done with it, but maybe at the end of this process we could have a whole school clothes exchange day or week or a space where everyone can bring his or her clothes that they no, no longer wear. But then, of course, there is this language issue. There is so much materials now in English that it would be a shame not to use that. This is an English language teacher's advantage over other languages yeah, there is so much material that you can take. I was just going to read to you a quotation which I think you made in a recent presentation, uh, quoting Alan Maley. He said that one of uh, the roles of a teacher is to help students think about, quote, globalization, exploitation, confrontation, incarceration, discrimination, degradation, subjugation, how inequality brings poverty, how intolerance brings violence, how need is denied by greed. Yeah, a very provocative statement. And I'm sure many teachers, English language teachers, would agree with much of of what he says there. But I suppose my question would be, to what extent are parents agreeing with that? To what extent are institutional managers agreeing with that? To what extent are government education ministers agreeing with those ideas? Yes, this is a tricky topic because on one hand, I do understand why language course books have to be a little bit whitewashed this kind of topics that are controversial have to be removed because you can have parents disagreeing with that or school authorities disagreeing with that or sometimes it comes with the teacher's contract you are not allowed to talk about politics or you are not allowed to talk about this or that topic so I would encourage teachers to talk to someone about them just to be on the safe side saying, for example, look, I want to do this project that talks about water. As a language teacher, think about water as a central theme from the perspective of mathematics. And we can talk about liters and measuring water. How about looking at water from the physics perspective? 
and chemistry and you know you can actually link the entire school curriculum this could be a big school theme let's have a water week for example and of course if you offer a project like this students have a choice students do all those things that you say research skills and presenting and language of course you will very quickly see that you cannot do anything like that without going into environment going into climate change going into political conflicts about water you take this topic that seems oh okay innocent but actually the further you go the more clearly you see that this is something that affects everyone it's a social issue it's an economical issue it's a political issue it's a financial issue and this could be a you know a brilliant way of actually bringing the whole curriculum together but also looking at a local area looking at this theme globally this could be a brilliant uh, yeah. idea i would love to hear from teachers who say yes uh, we took your water suggestion and we turned it into a water week in our school and everyone was talking about water for a whole week I mean, what you're suggesting is, is very interesting, but it's obviously very different to the way that the English language industry works nowadays, where you find most course books have separate discrete units about, you know, the environment. And then it's about culture and then it's about technology or whatever it may be, all sort of quite neatly parceled into those different sections, whether that's a government textbook or internationally produced course books or whatever it may be. How do you see that paradigm shift happening from what we have now to moving more towards a thematic curriculum? I talk about clear and environmental issues and you talk about the publication where um, you took this poem from, which is a language teacher's take on United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. This is a free publication that offers lessons built around all those sustainable development goals. So I see this shift already from, oh, yeah, this is just a chapter, or maybe even not, because like 20 years ago, you know, not even all course books would have environmental issues even mentioned. And this shift has already started with the materials being produced, with the EFL world acknowledging that, Hey, we should be doing a little bit more in this in this area. I think we need to have really uh, strong-willed decision makers to say, "Hey, I we know you are experienced language teachers. We set this curriculum, but we also want you to uh, have the freedom of venturing into those areas, like talking about environmental issues." And then following with actions, because there is a lot to gain from that. Um, and creating that sort of upward pressure from both students and teachers onto government education ministries, onto publishers and so on and so on. Actually, I can see already a lot of pressure from societies connected with the local issues. Going from, you know, this global topic in a chorus book into this local theme connected with what is going on in my village, in my town, in my city, in my country. That's something really precious. 
die Klimakonnektivität. Thanks very much for speaking us today, Alexandra. You can find out more about her work and what she discussed today in the episode show notes. Corinne Lucas, teacher, Sudan. I did a lesson comparing rainfall in the past to current rainfall, linking this to climate change. Students then predicted what the future would look like if the trend continued. We looked at the issue from environmental, cultural and economic perspectives. Desertification is a pressing issue in the farming community where I was teaching. While focusing on climate change usually elicits eye rolls, students feel that it's something that should only be prioritized after sorting out political and economic issues in their country. This topic hit close to home. Many relatives and neighbors were suffering as a result of crop failure. Students loved thinking about causes and coming up with solutions. The Climate Connection In 1939, Colombia became the first country in Latin America that the British Council had an office. It has been working there continuously in the 80 or so years since. In this episode, From the Field, we learn about a recent program they have initiated, which links together language and climate education. Imagina estar en el bosque húmedo más extenso de la tierra where you can hear the singing of more than 600 species of birds. El lugar donde se encuentran más de 600 especies de pájaros y además merodean los aguares, donde serpentea el río más caudaloso del mundo. And the home of 26 Colombian indigenous groups. Y nuestro tema de hoy... ¡Welcome to the jungle! Me encanta verlos así de emocionados con nuestro tema de hoy. It's impossible not to be excited. The Amazon rainforest is amazing. My name is Carolina Cruz Corso. I'm the head of English for Education Systems in the British Council of Colombia. ECO 2.0 started in 2010 just by the name of ECO, which was English for Colombia, in which we are creating radio programs to reach people in the remote areas, in rural areas or remote areas, and even in urban areas where kids do not have computers, do not have internet connection, and they rely on the phone that their families have. Our idea was to think of a way to reach them that required like a low-tech solution, in this case, the radio. So last year, we came out with 32 episodes aligned with COP26 and the importance of taking care of the environment as ECHO is not only a program that fosters English, but also raises awareness on these aspects of life. For instance, we have used to learn about Colombia, to learn about the nature, to learn about 
the different richness that our country has. So we thought that it was a good opportunity to bring climate change into the program. Why is the tree sick? Using the language as a key vehicle to make things and kids aware of what's going on. Because many people talk about climate change. Why do people damage the environment? And many people know that something is going on, but they need to understand what it is. I have an idea! And what kind of actions as individual citizens are influencing the, that it becomes worse or how it could become better? Yes, we can dig holes and plant new trees. And we can remove fallen leaves. Excellent. I They know that their planet they are receiving is in danger and that they can do tiny things or actions that can contribute to what is going to happen in the future to the planet. And pulled out the wheat. Great idea. Quitaremos la maleza. Also, we can pick up and recycle the plastic we find. Key expectations that we have is that we can come up with a strategy to use not only the program, but also to pull to action. An action that can be immediate. Yes, I would like to learn about this topic, climate change. For example, I would like to know how I can help and make climate changes cause problems globally because it is a very important for the future of humanity. I believe that while we are learning about the topic, we can be learning it in a way that we can spread that message to way more people, so that's awesome. I believe that the biggest problem in relation to climate change in Colombia is the lack of environmental awareness and involvement of different political and economic sectors as well as the population as a whole. It is very important to put this issue on the table and to understand the individual and collective responsibility that we have as members of a society and take actions to protect our planet. It gives teachers and it gives students the opportunity to develop their scientific literacy and a much uh, a deeper understanding of how climate change works and its implications. There is a lack of information around the topic and material that is close to our near context will be for sure a great help for us English teachers to start talking more about it. Hello, hello, probando, probando. Todo Colombia me escucha. Wow, qué increíble. It is important to develop that knowledge without affecting either content or affecting the knowledge of English. So what we are doing, we, we try to be really careful in the way that we came up with that trans language. So we are being careful and coming up with full sentences in either English or Spanish. We have given certain characters in the program. For instance, uh, knowing more English or managing English better than others. So those are the ones 
that are like a character says, you know that the air is polluted at certain percentage. And there is another one saying, que dijiste? And that possibility to respond in Spanish. So we are using English, but at the same time, we are reinforcing the message with the Spanish. We, we don't want to leave content behind. Hello, my name is Colin Martin Reynolds, and I am the British ambassador to Colombia. Are you from England? Yo soy Silva, Irene Silva. When I heard about the British Council idea of creating the Eco 2.0 Climate Edition radio program, I immediately saw its potential as a key strategy to really help motivate children here in Colombia. Do you speak English? <laughs> I love English. Trato de hablarlo con los extranjeros que visitan nuestro pueblo. ¿Y qué te trae por acá? To help children and teens connect with and engage with their peers around the world on the common COP26 agenda. And just as importantly, to foster a sense of urgency and ownership in our children and teenagers so that they understand that they themselves can make a serious contribution and real difference through specific and simple actions. It's impossible not to be excited. The Amazon rainforest is amazing. The Climate Connection In our second interview today, we talked to Owen Llewellyn and Linda Ruas. Owen works for the British Council in Algeria and has written extensively on ELT and the environment. He's the creator and tutor of the online course Language Teaching for the Planet, and is also the founder of ELTSustainable.com, a free-to-use website which provides environmentally-themed language learning materials. Linda Ruas is an ESOL and CELTA lecturer from London South East Colleges, and is an active member of IATEPL's Global Issues Special Interest Group. She also manages the new internationalist Easier English Wiki site and has recently started a charity, Action Guinea-Bissau. So, first of all, maybe we could start with you, Linda. Please can you tell us about your website and what it contains and how teachers and learners can use the materials there? Okay, there's two sides, if you like, to this website. One half is for learners and one half is for teachers. We started doing this to simplify articles for learners to read, articles from the excellent New Internationalist. The idea is they read the article and then at the bottom they click on the original article and read the more difficult one. So almost by osmosis or by magic, they improve their reading skills, vocabulary and grammar. And there's photo stories, country profiles and a new section of self-access materials. And then for teachers, there are about 130 now ready lessons. They're all on PowerPoint and PDF so that you can adapt the, the PowerPoint version. And there's a more teaching ideas section with lots of suggestions of ways to use any of the articles in class, um, like, for example, radical phonology where students make banners, protest banners, and march around the classroom about some of these very important issues. For those people unfamiliar with the New Internationalist, what's their kind of focus? What kind of topics are covered in the New Internationalist? Well, it's global issues, global justice, human rights, gender, land grabs, organ trading, all of these things that are around the world, and mainly from the global south. 
Uh, and Owen, come over to you for your website, eltsustainable.com. Could you say a little bit about that and the materials it contains and, and, and what people can get from it? I started the website in 2012, and since then I've been creating ELT lessons which go onto this website for teachers around the world to use. Themed around the year's calendar, so if someone wants to do a lesson on World Education Day with an environmental focus, there'll be something there. The lessons are standalone environment lessons, so generally like an hour-long lesson. However, recently I started to explore more about embedding an environment topic into existing ELT topics. So there are increasingly shorter lessons that can be slotted into other existing lessons. So is that a topic which are sort of within normal sort of course books and textbook that can be add-on materials for teachers to use? If we're talking about the topic of food or we're talking about the topic of travel in our ELT lessons, we can't avoid the environmental questions around food or travel. Therefore, I'm trying to get away from this idea of the environment lesson that comes up once a term, but rather embedding it in everything. Can I ask both of you uh, as well, what advice would you give to teachers who want to write their own materials based on the environment, based on potentially local environmental problems that they may be facing? What would be some of the the key things that you would recommend to them? Uh, Owen, Patrick, could begin with you. For writing their own materials, a lot of teachers are afraid that they're not the expert in environmental issues, which isn't, isn't an issue. I mean, I have a degree in English literature. I don't know a great deal about science, but for me, what I can do is help students discuss this issue and come to their own conclusions and find ways of getting the knowledge themselves. So I would advise teachers not to feel that they have to go into this lesson as an authority in environmental issues. And for you, Linda? Yeah, I think I think a lot of teachers are afraid of departing from the course book or the resource book or or some perfect material that's been tried and tested somewhere. So my advice would be do it, go for it, find something, bring it into class and see what happens sometimes, depending on your teaching context, if you're allowed to. Absolutely. And something that you're passionate about might also bring passion to the students as well. What would you say to teachers in that situation if they're feeling sort of nervous about about doing that, for example, because, uh, you know, if they are, for example, inexperienced teachers or they uh, they feel they haven't got the training to be able to do that? Because one of the challenges that teachers often face is that they don't have that script. They don't have that textbook to follow. They have that fear of failure to do that. What would you say to them in that situation? I'd say try one of my lessons on the Easier English Wiki. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it actually puts it all step by step and uh, with the answers as well and you wouldn't have to worry about it and then you can create your own afterwards when you've done a few of them well, that's a, a fantastic recommendation absolutely yeah but it absolutely is i mean i've used some of them myself in my own teaching what is so fantastic about them is that it's a it's a good quality text based on sort of well-researched articles yeah. and information uh it gives you that that sort of script to follow but it doesn't say you have to do this there is that flexibility within that there is that possibility to localize and contextualize like you're saying 
Yeah, that, that, that's why the, the, there's a the PowerPoint there. And I, I hope teachers will and do adapt and, and cut and add. Um, they're, they're sort of half-baked lessons, if you like. They're not perfect, um, tried out, tested. They're just the lessons that I'm teaching and things could go wrong and you might want to do something else instead. Uh, but I think that's the best sort of thing that I can offer to the teaching community lots of nice ingredients there that people can choose what they uh, what they do with it Um, but I think that's but I think that's an interesting point as well though that and I think what is fantastic about about both your websites is that um, it does make those materials open source in that way that they can be adapted too often we see materials which are in pdf form only or you know which are in the the printed form and can't be changed um, which obviously doesn't allow for that that important localization and and contextualization can i perhaps ask more generally to again to both of you where do you see the elt industry as a whole in terms of its approach to environmental issues and do you see positive changes taking place or do you think there is still work to be done Uh, maybe could start with owen uh, on that response i think it's incredible that the change that we've seen i still think there's an awful lot to be done i don't think it's mainstreamed yet into ELT but the the change is beginning I think. Things have been going on for a long time in lots of countries in West Africa that I'm working with lots of teachers voluntarily and teachers have been working on these issues all the time but nobody's been sharing their stuff and working with them on it and now with all these British Council initiatives people are starting to share what people have been doing for a long time. Um, for example, teachers in um, in Togo, in Guinea-Bissau, in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Senegal, where all the um, uh, coastal erosion is going on. And the teachers are actually doing things in their English classes about it to raise awareness and try and do something to change. Fantastic. Linda, Owen, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. What do you and you can find links to Linda and Owen's websites in the show notes. Hi, I'm Fernando Sa. I'm a secondary school English teacher from Univisal. With my students, I plan to eat in the region of Univisal. We also talked about recycling bottles and plastic and we do it yourself greenhouse with scissors, paper, plastic bags, bottles, cardboard and paints. The Climate Connection The Green Glossary The Green Glossary Brought to you by Oxford University Press. Hello, my name is Trish Stewart, and I'm a science editor at OUP, involved mainly in revising the Oxford English Dictionary, and I'm going to talk about the word climate. There's a lot of discussion going on about climate, and a lot of climate compound words appearing. We hear about climate change, climate emergency, climate crisis, climate strike, just as a few examples. And many of these terms have appeared relatively recently, but the term climate itself has a much longer history and its meaning has shifted quite considerably. The earliest uses of climate in English, sometime in the 14th century, 
show us that it was a geographical term. Climate referred to a series of regions or zones into which the Earth was divided based on latitude. So a climate was the region of the Earth's surface between two lines of latitude, and the number of climates varied. In the OED entry for climate, we have a quote from 1789 stating that there are 30 climates between the equator and either pole. And so given this, the number of climates wasn't standardized. And eventually, the word climate came to be used to refer to any region of the Earth, but especially a region of the Earth that had a specific set of weather conditions. However, we don't use climate much in this way anymore. In the middle of the 16th century, we start to see climate used slightly differently. It refers to specific weather conditions themselves, rather than the particular region in which those conditions can be found. It's the difference between saying a region is a climate, that is, the older use, and a region has a climate. And this is what we think of when we think of the climate of a place today. It's a pattern of weather in a region throughout the year, with respect to varieties in temperature, humidity, precipitation, wind, etc. So climate is not the same as weather. As one saying goes, climate is what you expect, but weather is what you get. And of course, the inhabitants of many places say, if you don't like the weather here, just wait five minutes. But that phrase doesn't work if you replace weather with climate. Like carbon, climate has proved to be a fruitful source of compounds, many of these arising in the mid to late 20th century and 21st century, and reflecting our concerns about the climate. The most widespread climate compound is climate change. The idea that the climate of a specific region or area can change as a result of human activity isn't new. Um, the ancient Greek philosopher Theophrastus noticed that after the waters of a swamp in Thessaly had been drained, the region became colder, the olive trees around the city disappeared, and the grapes on the vines were affected. Our first recorded use of the compound climate change dates from 1854 in an American scientific periodical, and it reveals that even then there was disagreement over whether humans could cause changes in climate. Other early climate compounds are related to the effects of climate. Climate proof goes back to 1827. Our first recorded use of it is in an advert for climate proof harp lute for those wanting to bring such an instrument on their travels. Climate Beaten from 1787 describes those suffering the effects of a tropical climate. And from 1869, you could try out a climate cure, alleviating any ill health or disease by traveling to a place considered to have a beneficial climate. Related to this is the shift in meaning of climate refugee. At the end of the 19th century and in the early 20th century, a climate refugee was a person who moves to a place where the climate is healthier or more congenial. The usage of climate refugee to describe such a person now sounds perhaps a bit trite, as from the end of the 20th century, we've reserved the term for persons fleeing their home country due to the effects of climate change. Climate compounds that appear in the latter half of the 20th century and beyond reflect our changing views of climate. In the 1970s, as concerns about changes to the Earth's climate increase, we see the appearance of the terms climate science and climate scientist. Around this time, we also see climate model and climate engineering, 
reflecting our efforts to understand and predict climate change with a view to being able to counter it. So the language reflects our view of climate as something that we can study, something to be predicted, something with patterns that can be mapped out, and something that can be understood. This period also sees the emergence of terms with more negative connotations. Climate catastrophe and climate emergency appear in the 70s, highlighting our recognition that climate change could have serious negative effects on the Earth and its occupants, both human and non-human. There's also the appearance of climate paired with more emotional words, terms like climate fear, climate grief, anxiety, anger, depression, pessimism, but also optimism. And this usage also demonstrates how climate has come to act as a sort of shorthand for climate change. These emotions are associated with our understanding of and belief, or not, in climate change. And the OED defines this usage as relating to the usually negative feelings or emotional states caused by concerns over the negative impact of climate change and global warming. The use of climate to mean climate change is also seen in the compounds climate skeptic and climate denier. These terms don't mean that someone is skeptical of or denying the existence of climate itself, but rather the existence of climate change, or more specifically, anthropogenic climate change, that is, climate change that can be attributed to human activity. Recent discussions around these terms have highlighted the range of positions one can take as a denier or skeptic. For example, denying or being skeptical that the climate is changing or that global warming is happening, accepting that climate change is happening, and maybe also that we are contributing to it, but rejecting the idea that humans can do anything to prevent it, and finally, believing that we have more pressing issues, such as poverty or world hunger to address. Climate skeptic is the earlier term, dating from 1996, while climate denier is a bit later, from 2003. Climate denier has gained in popularity recently, and there has been increasing debate over which term to use. The use of denier carries negative connotations, and it's been suggested that climate denier is a derogatory term to be avoided. However, there is also evidence that some people holding these viewpoints are happy to self-identify as climate deniers. The term climate change itself has also fluctuated in popularity. Seen as the more comprehensive term, it has replaced global warming, which was widely used in the late 20th century. It conveys the idea that there are changes occurring in addition to global warming, such as rising sea levels, retreating glaciers, accelerating ice melt, shifts in flowering and fruiting time for plants, and changes in animal migration patterns or animal hibernation patterns. It has also been suggested that climate change became popular because it sounds like the less alarming term. The idea that the climate is changing doesn't sound so bad, it might even change for the better. And indeed, the earliest scientists to identify the phenomenon of global warming thought it would be beneficial to humanity. So as a result, the term climate emergency has come to be preferred by some precisely because it is more emotive, because it is felt to better convey the seriousness of the situation we are in. Finally, and perhaps on a more hopeful note, there are a handful of compounds that have appeared that reflect the widespread desire to do something about climate change, the belief that our actions can make a difference. In the 1980s and 90s, 
climate action and climate justice appear, and later in 2018, climate strike. So while there is some debate about the extent to which humans can affect climate change, it is still positive to see this emphasis. It seems that we have moved from seeing climate as something we can understand, to recognizing our impact on it, to accepting our responsibility to do something about this impact. La Conexión Climática I am called Abigail Ikango. I'm a secondary school English language teacher from Cameroon. Climate crisis is a major problem in the world today and we are encouraged as teachers to talk about that in class. Fortunately for us, our module 3 of our English syllable encourages us to talk about environmental issues and we do that in our classrooms. We involve environmental content in our lessons, especially in Module 3, where we help our students see the pertinence of being environmentally responsible citizens because it is going to help us in many ways. In my classroom, I help my students to understand how critical it is if we do not respect the environment and I show them the various behaviors that lead to climate crisis and we talk about this during our lessons for example which are the responsible behaviors that we as students and I as a teacher and us as individuals need to do or do so that our environment stays safe clean and thus avoid climate crisis and climate change my institution is yet to follow my example of having in school separate garbage tins for separate refuse. For instance, in my class, I have three separate tins where I help my students to put plastic, to put papers, to put bottles and refuse from their lunch. And I also help them to use the refuse from their lunch for the school gardens. Now my institution is yet to copy that and that's my fight now. I want them to copy this example so that in our school campus we are going to have um, separate garbages where we can have separate plastics and bottles and lunch refuse where we encourage recycling through this action and save our environment. I help my students by talking a lot about sensitizing ourselves and our neighbors about the advantages of having a safe environment. If we behave responsibly, then we are going to have a safe environment. And I help them with practical measures about protecting our environment and keeping safe. And I want them to talk or I encourage them to talk about these actions that we learn in class and practice in our classrooms with neighbors and at home so that our environment is going to be safe and we are going to tackle climate change. Thanks to Alexandra, Owen and Linda for sharing their insights in this episode. If this is your first time listening to The Climate Connection, please do go back and listen to all our other episodes. You can find these episodes, as well as show notes and bonus material, at our website, www.britishcouncil.org slash climate hyphen connection. And join us next time for Episode 5, Greenhouse Classes, 
in which renowned educationalist Professor Stephen Heppel shares ideas about how we can make our classrooms more environmentally positive spaces. Until then, goodbye. The Climate Connection. La Connection Climatique. Die Klimakonnektivität. La Connection Climatica. I've got the cat here and she can make a little bit of a mess when she yeah. starts. So, since I'm in good company. Exactly, yeah. Let's go with mediocre company, Alexandra. Yes. I mean, that's <laughs>